Good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, just wanted to mention that Kent and his family are ill and uh, dealing with some pretty, pretty bad sickness going through their family. So I'm happy to uh, step in and uh, preach this morning, uh, kind of a last minute thing. I have some thoughts I would like to share and I hope that they're gonna be organized enough for all of you to understand at least what's going on in my mind. And I'm, I'm having a technical problem here, which I, I'm not sure how to fix. Uh, bear with me for just a minute here. Anybody an iPad expert? Nobody? Come on, come here, Steve. Help me out here. I'm not an iPad expert, but... I can't get rid of that. You sure can't. <laughs> huh. I've never seen this before. <laughs> Sorry. He fixed it. I didn't do it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Not only can he lead music, he can provide tech support. So, Steve, what's your number in case anybody needs to call you? 1-800-GO-AWAY. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Okay, I think we're ready now. So um, where, where, where was I? Uh, so Kent and his family, be sure and pray for them. Um, and, uh, and then uh, we'll enjoy having him back next week. So the plan next week is for him to begin Haggai. So it's been a while since we've been in an Old Testament book. So he's looking forward to that. And, uh, and I am too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here together this morning, and Lord, I pray that, that your name would be glorified and honored in what is said this morning and how it's received, and Lord, that uh, we will continue to worship you through the preaching and the hearing of your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, by, by your grace, and your mercy in our lives, that you would help us to live our lives in a way that would bring honor to your name. And Lord, that that, that really would be the great desire of our heart for all who believe in you. Lord, that we wouldn't be those who just profess certain things, but we'd be those who profess, believe, and live according to your revealed will to us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this morning I just want to talk to you about a topic that's been on my heart recently and um, and it's a very important topic. I, normally I would preach expositionally through a, a book or a chapter or a couple of verses. This morning's going to be a little bit different than what I would normally do, and that is I'm going to talk to you about a topic instead, and we're certainly going to be in the, in the Scripture um, and uh, going through some passages that will help us to understand it better. It's a topic that we all need to understand and not just understand. Is there something I need to do to stop that? Am I doing something? The humming? Okay. 
them. Can you hear that? Can y'all hear that? Yes. It just, yeah, it's really loud. The humming's really loud. Okay, reinforcements are coming. Okay, um, sorry about that. The topic that I want to talk about can be really addressed as a question. And so the question is, what is the source of your counsel? Where do you look for counsel? Um, and since counseling or, or the word counseling can bring negative connotations, let me just say it this way. When you have difficulties in life or questions about life, your life, the world around you, your interaction with other people, when you have questions that you're dealing with, problems that you're dealing with, where do you go for help? Where do you go for help? Each of us have difficulties in life and we have questions about life. No one is exempt from that. No one is exempt from troubles. We, we all know that. Each of us face times of confusion. Each of us get to a place where we're not sure what to do exactly, how to handle a situation, how to handle a relationship. We have may, issue, may have issues with parenting. What do I do with my child in this case? We have, may have issues with parents. What do I do with my parents in this case? We have big questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? How do I handle pain? Job troubles. How do I relate to a society that seems to have gone off the rails? I've lost a parent or I've lost a spouse, I've lost a good friend, how do I deal with that? How do I handle the grief? What is moral and what is immoral? That's a good question that our society is asking today. What is right and what is wrong? How do I deal with this disease that I now have? What about growing older? My body is deteriorating. My mind is not as sharp as it used to be. How do I deal with that? What is the purpose of that? Is there any purpose of that? Can I be useful anymore, any longer in the kingdom of God? These are all the kind of things that we may, you may be questioning now, facing now, or perhaps you will in the future. All of our troubles are not the same. Our circumstances are not the same, but we all face troubles. Jesus was very upfront when he said, in this life, you will have troubles. So where do we go? What do we do? Who do we trust with solutions? Where we go for help, where we go for counsel, it matters. It matters. What is your source of truth. Okay. This is where the preacher says the Bible. <laughs> right? Uh, an obvious answer. And that's, that's what you expect me to say this morning. The Bible is to be our source of truth. 
Obviously, I'm going to say that. And yet, if we examine, if each of us examine our practice, how we, how we live, think about the last year. Would your practice, would our practice as a professing Christian testify that our source of truth is the Bible? Is that where you have gone for answers to life? You see, that, that's the question. Not what we say is our source of truth. Not what we say with our mouth is our source of truth. But in our practice, in our life, when seeking counsel, where do we go? Did you know that the Bible instructs parents on how to raise children? Did you know the Bible tells us how to think? what truth is, how to order our homes as husband and wife, family, how to view our bosses, how to interact with government officials and authorities. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that the God who created us, designed us as human beings, made each one of us individually, that he would know best how we're to function in life. He is a creator, and so he knows what's best for us. And so do we go to his word to find answers to life's problems, or do we search in other places? Psalm 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What does a lamp do? It, it shows us the way. It lights the way. In the context, the psalm, in this context, the psalmist is saying, the word of God shows us the way to go. It shows us the way to go. And we need to know the way to go. It's interesting. I talk with Christians who, many of who seem to stake their lives on the Bible when it comes to salvation. Like they read the story of redemption, the work of Christ, our sin nature, and they believe. I, I have to trust in Christ as my Savior. And how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. So we, we stake our lives on that. We believe that when it comes to redemption. And yet, when it comes to the practical matters of daily living... Some will doubt the Bible and discredit it in all kinds of ways. I mean, either, either the Bible is true or it's not. If it's true regarding salvation and eternal life, then it's true regarding Christian living as well. But there often seems to be a disconnect there. A real disconnect, and that disconnect can be disastrous. Some say the Bible is just a crutch for the weak. It's just for people with weak minds who don't know how to live life. It's a crutch. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The Bible is for the weak. The Bible is for those who need help. The Bible is for those who don't have all the answers to life. The battle between God's word, his, his written word, his revealed word in our mind, in our, in the battle between that and what is in our mind can sometimes be a problem. And I want to, I want to show you what the Bible claims as true. And, and I want to challenge you with these things if you're struggling at all in this area. Here, here are some things that we, that we must believe as Christians if we're going to go to the Bible for counsel. If we don't believe these things that I'm going to talk about here in the next few minutes, then more than likely we're not going to go to the Bible for counsel. So think of it that way. The first thing that I want to mention is that God's word is foundational. It's foundational. In John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69, interesting passage, uh, interesting chapter. I'm just going to read the last part of it here, but um, in these verses. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. If you're familiar with this chapter, Jesus had said some really hard things to the people who were following him. Um, Jesus had, his, his ministry had become very popular. Uh, crowds of people were following him everywhere that he went. They seemed to be embracing him. They were drawn to him. They, they were fascinated by his words and his preaching, things that he said. But in John chapter 6, there's this, it almost seems like a, a bit of a change where, where Jesus really starts talking about some hard things, some things that were not normal for them in life. He, he was talking about things that, that were outside of their experience, outside of what they had thought was truth. He was challenging their thinking. And if you read the Bible at all, that, that's what the Bible does to us, right? When we read the scripture, if you're not challenged by it, if you don't, if you don't read the scripture and think, well, that's odd, that's strange, that's really not how I would normally think, then you might not be looking at it very deeply because the Bible is different than our experience in the rest of the world around us. And that's what these people were facing. They're hearing Jesus say some things and thinking, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if I'm going to buy into this. They were challenged. And, and so what happened is, is that many of them began to turn and walk away. It was too much for them. And so you can read that chapter on your own, but, but Jesus, when this begins to happen, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, okay, what are you going to do? Are, are, are you guys going to turn and walk away too? Because I'm seeing, saying some things that are challenging to your mind and to your heart. And Peter's response should be our response as we read the scripture. Lord, to whom shall we go? 
where, where else are we going to go? He goes on to say, because you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So with these words, Peter rightly acknowledged that Jesus' words were foundational of all that is true. See that God's word is supreme and it contains all truth even if it goes against what we might normally think. If we believe that as Peter states it here, <clears throat> then why, why would we wrestle over what are we going to believe and what advice are we going to follow? If his words are foundational, if they really are words of life, then shouldn't we be drawn to it, the exclusion of all other worldly counsel? Why would we pit worldly philosophies, popular thinking against God's word? God's word is foundational. Secondly, God's word is sufficient. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The scripture says, this passage says, that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has granted to us his spirit, his believers, and he has given to us his word. And these are meant to help us navigate through life. The Bible, God's word, is sufficient for life. It's not one of many writings that should be sitting on our of equal value. It's rather sufficient for all guidance in how we are to live life, how we're to relate to God, and how we're to relate to other people. It's sufficient. Next, God's God's word is practical. It's practical. For much of history and in Maybe for much of my life too that's not very much history but we've been led to believe that the Bible is primarily for theologians who write books and give lectures about lofty ideas and concepts I think that that's how I viewed the Bible for a lot of my life the Bible is certainly lofty in the sense that it's a book about God. However, God gave it to us as a practical manual for understanding Him, for understanding life. First Timothy chapter four verses eight through ten says, "For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Godliness is a value in every way. We know what godliness is because the Bible tells us what godliness is. And it's beneficial to every area of life. It's practical. It addresses the issues of life. God's word is also relevant. God's, that, what that means is it, it meets us right where we are. Whatever you're, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, in this point in your life, the Bible meets you right where you are. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Just, just think of this. Think of God, how God uses his word to work in our lives. It is, it is God's word. It's living, the scripture says. It's active and it pierces into the depth of our being. It, it, it pierces into the depth of your being. Not just people in general, of, of your being. That sounds strange, doesn't it? It is strange if we're just talking about a book. But we're not just talking about a book. It's, it's the very Word of God that, and, it, and it's at work in us in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. So if there's a resource from God that is the foundation of all truth is sufficient to address all issues of life is practical to meet us right where we are is relevant to what we're facing at this very moment then why would we not go to it for counsel why would we say I believe I believe God and the Bible but I just want to live this other way and yet we're all prone to do just that at some point in life in this area, I, I just want to go my own way. I don't trust God's word in this particular circumstance. And so we go searching. We go searching. And here, here are some challenges that, that I, I would like to, for you to consider. And, and you can decide if these are relevant to you or not. Here are some reasons why we may reject God's counsel.
worldly counsel, and when I say that, what I mean is counsel outside of God's word, counsel that would not be consistent with God's word. Worldly counsel is designed to appeal to our flesh. It's designed to appeal to our flesh. So it's not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising then that, it would be, that we would be drawn to certain types of counsel that might be counter to God's word. Because it's designed to appeal to, to our flesh. Philosophies created by secular thinkers are popular because they are designed to appeal to the vast majority of people. Let me give you an example. In difficult relationships, anybody ever had a, I shouldn't ask that. Everybody's had a difficult relationship. In difficult relationships, God tells us, this is counsel from the word, right? God tells us to love your enemies. God says, do good to those who hate you. He further says in his word that we are to go the extra mile with our enemies. He says that we are to think of others as more important than ourselves. That would include those that you're having difficult, difficulties with in relationships. That, that's what the scripture says. And then God gives us an example of this, of, of what I just described, in that he loved us while we were his enemies. So he didn't just tell us to live that way. He chose to act that way in relation to us. He loved us while we were his enemies. He sacrificed for us when we hated him. These are biblical truths and to, that we are, we are to move toward those who treat us badly. Enter their world. Move toward them. Th these are some hard truths and hardly what the secular world or secular philosophies would teach. Would you agree with that? What do many secular thinkers or therapists tell their clients or people that they counsel? What, what do popular books teach about how to deal with difficult people? Well, things like put up boundaries, right? build those walls. Discard those relationships. Walk away from them. Do what's best for you. If, they're not, if that relationship is not going to bring you happiness, then walk away from it. You don't owe those people anything. They don't deserve your attention or your time. Those are toxic relationship. Move away from them. Now, in your flesh, which is more appealing? Which seems easier? Which appeals to your flesh? 
Probably not God's way. So even as believers, we can be drawn to anti-biblical thinking. Why? Because it appeals to our flesh. Doesn't it seem easier just to walk away from certain people? But God says that the wisdom of the world is foolish. It's foolish. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So anything, any counsel that would be counter to what we read in God's word is foolish. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) You know, when we think about what we want to do in our flesh versus what God is teaching us. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we are to conform to that, conform to what God has told us in his word. Another reason why we may reject God's counsel is because we're prone to live according to our feelings and past experiences. We hear things like, follow your heart, do what feels right, do what will make you happy and bring you the most pleasure. Each of these can create pits in which we can fall. The scripture teaches that our hearts are not to be reliable guides and that we should even deny ourselves for a better way. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does that mean? This denying self, what does that mean? It It is denying those things that may appeal to our flesh, our hearts, but are in opposition to God's word. We're to instead daily follow Christ, meaning base our lives on him and his word. And so the battle rages where? In the heart. I mentioned experiences. We, we, as we grow up, our, our thoughts and values are formed as we grow up. And these thoughts and values um, um, are sometimes so ingrained in us that they might be counter to God's word. But it's hard for us to see that because it's kind of like, the way we grow up and, and all that's mixed in that is, is so deep within ourselves. It's like a part of us. And yet even those things should never supersede God's word. I'll give you a personal example. So I, I grew up thinking as a child. I can remember this as a child growing up in my, and there's various reasons for this. I'm not going to go into all the reasons, but... I grew up thinking that it was my job to make everybody happy. That was kind of my place in the family. Make everybody happy. And, and if everybody's not happy, then it's, it's my failure. 
so there is for the Christian this this constant putting off and putting on um, because it's it's not my place to make everybody happy it should never have been Um, that kind of runs counter to speaking the truth in love because if you just want to make everybody happy you're probably not going (coughs) to speak hard truth into people's lives Um, and so and so for me then, that, that's, a, that's kind of an ingrained thing. It's like a part of me that, that needs to, to, be, to be changed. And it may not be a big deal to you because I'm not talking about you, but there's probably things in your life that are so ingrained with you based on your past experiences, the values that you grew up with that may be counter to God's word. And so there's this constant, in the Christian life, the scripture speaks of this in places like Ephesians 4, there's this constant putting off and putting on. Putting off old ways of thinking. Putting on new ways of thinking. Putting off those things that may be deeply ingrained within you. And putting on what Christ says, what God tells us in his word. Now, I want to give you two more things before we wrap up this morning. First, there's a simple way to think about receiving God's counsel and embracing his counsel from his word. The scripture says in a variety of places that there's one goal in life. We have one goal in life. And if we embrace this goal by God's grace and his power in us, then we're ready to receive, to believe, and do the will of God in his word. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is one place that mentions this goal. So whether we eat or we drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That, that's the goal of life. If you've been a Christian for long, you've heard that and you know that the goal of life is to glorify God. If, if that is your goal, to glorify God in your life according to his plan, then you are ready and willing to embrace his word. If you're not there, then you're not in a place and you're not ready to embrace his word when it seems hard. And if you're not there, I would just ask you to to pray and to beg God to move you to a place where it is your goal in life to bring glory to his name by living in obedience to him. I've counseled hundreds of people over the years and I have found that this is the hurdle to get over for the Christian this is the hurdle to get over for the Christian to make life changing progress this needs to happen the goal of life has to be embraced and that is to glorify God do you, do, do we really want to glorify God or do we not? Again, if we do, then we're ready for real, lasting change. If not, we'll continue how we are. Listen to what James says. 
but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. To be a doer of the word is like taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's like glorifying God because you're, because you're living for him. And what is the result? You'll be blessed in your doing. Receiving God's counsel from his word, living for him according to his written will, glorifying him is how we become more like Christ and live in peace and joy as did Christ. Let me close with this. Living according to God's word gives power, hope, and true change. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only God provides lasting hope for any circumstance. Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment in all circumstances in life. And only God can change the heart. Deuteronomy 36, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So what is your source of counsel? Where do you go for help? Because we each have to decide. The foundational, sufficient, practical, relevant, all-wise, and powerful Word of God. Is that where we go? Or the foolishness of man? I don't want to pretend that it's always easy to understand and to find answers in the scripture to all of life's issues. It's not. Sometimes it's, it's a real challenge. And um, the more emotional uh, a situation is for us, the more challenge it can be for us. But I would it counsel you that if you are struggling with things in life and you're having difficulty finding answers for God's word and living according to those things that you'd you'd find a trusted friend who understands the scripture and is willing to walk with you through difficulties in life because we all need that from time to time we all need that so I encourage you to do that to find someone here who would be willing to walk with you and help you uh, through your struggles in life let me pray and then Mark's going to lead us in the Lord's table Father thank you for your involvement 
with us. Thank you, Lord, for your stated desire to help us, to lead us and to guide us. Thank you for your loving kindness, your grace in our lives. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be quick to turn to you, to turn to your word for help in this life, for understanding. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.